0: Well, it's good to be in worship with you. Uh, my name is Pastor John Keck, um, and this weekend we actually kind of had to switch things up just a little bit. You may recall uh, Pastor Brian mentioning that um, that he kind of washes his hands pretty obsessively anymore having kids in school uh, because, you know, they're kind of, they're cute and cuddly, but they're also like a source of constant contagion and watching the them wash their hands, it's kind of like just kind of uh, giving them a fresh drink because it's just cold water and then, you know, they put their hands back on there. Well, and it's like their manifest destiny for those little fingers to end up getting Pastor Brian sick. Well, unfortunately, it seems like he had a self-fulfilling prophecy <laughs> and uh, those little germies made their way into his body and it appears he's got some sort of stomach virus that set him back. Uh, he was planning on finishing up our series on the psalms, uh, on the topic of thanksgiving. Uh, and fortunately for you guys, you're still gonna be able to hear that sermon, but it's gonna be next week uh, he plans on. Hopefully he'll be up and things will be going a lot better and he'll be able to be with us and uh, share from, uh, from that. Uh, also, a number of staff over the recent weeks, I, I, maybe it's the same at your workplace, a number of people have just been down with illness and we really would appreciate your prayers for the staff. Um, now and in, in the coming weeks, particularly for Brian. As we're about to get into scripture, will you please pray with me uh, as we just focus this time around uh, God's Word? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together and worship. We ask that we would hear your voice as we open up your Word. Because honestly, Lord, we all know, I know myself that if the only voice that we hear in the coming minutes is mine, then uh, it's certain to fall short. We want to hear from you. We want to hear your words and to experience your presence among us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This picture uh, that you're about to see is one of my absolute favorite pictures of my daughter, uh, my oldest daughter, uh, Jamie, about nine years ago. And uh, of course, she's just a kid, but at that point, I was pretty much just a kid myself as well. And I remember this moment just so vividly, having her there in my arms. And there's just something about looking in the face of your child that inspires so much hope. I'm reminded of that day every time that I look at this picture. In that swaddled up little blanket, so much hope from me exuded towards this little one. What she could be, what she could possibly do, what she would become, hoping and expecting a really good future ahead of her. I can't quite describe the feeling of looking in the face of my very first born child, those first few days. The reality is I had no idea what to expect for her, but I also had no idea what to expect for me. It was really a whole new world that was opening up in front of me. And it would never be the same with this little one entering into my life. And I have that, had that same sort of feeling when uh, I held my, my uh, youngest daughter, Jordan, in my hands. And I trust that I'll have that same sort of feeling here in the coming months when uh, I hold my new, uh, my new little boy that'll be born here uh, at the end of March. There's something about a new child that just inspires hope in all of us. And I'm sure that you can remember a time where you experienced something like this. Even if you don't have children yourself, maybe the birth of a niece or nephew that just really opened up your eyes. Or a friend's child that just was very important to you. There's just something about these little ones that remind us that things will go on. And they inspire us with hope for the future. But being a dad to little girls also gave me a lot of surprises along the way. A lot of different things that I didn't expect like waking up early in the morning to paint little toesies, or to uh, play with Barbies, my favorite pastime, of course, or to, um, to watch the Disney princess movies about a half dozen times, each and every single one of them. But sitting down with my little girls and uh, watching these movies, um, there are a lot of things from childhood and watching this that, I, that really just went over my head or uh, I just wasn't paying that close of attention to and I just missed it. And sitting down with them, uh, there are things that I just picked up that I never picked up before. Uh, like in the movie Cinderella. I kinda just remember this being one of those happily ever after stories, everything tied up in a nice little bow at the end. But when I sat down with the girls, I noticed early on that there was just one scene that really got to me. Um, Cinderella, you may recall, made this deal with her stepmother. There's this ball that every, all the, the young maidens in the, in the kingdom have in, been invited to, and she's excited at the possibility of being able to go and experience this like everyone else. And uh, her stepmother says, if you just get all of your chores done, and if you can find something to wear, then certainly you can go and and participate. And you know in that moment, it's like there's no way she's going to be able to get all this stuff done. And they're just making it worse and worse for her. And she gets all of her chores done, and she's just wore out at the end of the day as things are coming together. And she just kind of walks away disappointed. Uh, But then she walks upstairs and you have this happy little scene take place where in perfect Disney fashion, there are all these little mice friends that have been working frantically to put together her dress, you know, you know, like you do, you know, as it happens all the time, you know, your little mice friends. <laughs> But she comes up there and she's just thrilled. And she comes downstairs, and you know, uh, her wicked stepmother and stepsisters, their plot was foiled. It's all come together perfectly. And for that brief moment, I had forgot what happens next in the story because I was just so wrapped up in it. I've got my girls together, and it's like, oh, it's all coming together. And she's done the right things, it to comes together. But that's not what happens. They begin to look on her and they see that some of the things that they had just thrown away that were used for her her dress, they focus in on the necklace that she's wearing, these beads. Well, that's not yours, and she rips it off. She sees this sash that's a central part of this this dress that just kind of really sets it off, and she grabs it, and she just tears it off, and within a matter of minutes, they're just ripping apart her dress, and suddenly she's just sitting there in shambles, and they just walk off, happily on their merry way. And there was something in me at that moment that just really wanted to just reach into that TV screen and just, I don't know, shake them or do something to make it right because this is just wrong, you know what I mean? This isn't the way it's supposed to be. This isn't the sort of things that I want my, my little girls to experience. I want their lives to be filled with joy and all this really cool stuff. And, you know, even I'm hoping that they'll say, see that, you know, even for the underdog, things, things can work out. But that's not what happens here. It's just a really incredibly dark moment in a movie that I just remember the happily ever after on. You know what I mean? In our passage today, um, the people of God are also in a pretty dark place. It's different than Cinderella's in a lot of ways. You know, there's no little mice friends making dresses or anything like that. And uh, the trouble that they found themselves in is not something that's just kind of happened to them haphazardly. Uh, What's happening to them is a result of choices that they've made, rebellion against God that's taken place for a really long time. And really, these people, the people of God are experiencing some of the worst terrors that you can possibly imagine. Uh, In the series on the minor prophets, we mentioned a number of times the Assyrians, uh, these people who had come in and taken over much of the land. They had deported the people. Now, the people had consistently turned away from God. They had relied on other things, alliances with other nations, worshiping the gods of other peoples, the idols of the people around them. You know, we would compare that in our cultural context, kind of our world, with the way in which we, uh, the way in which we make agreements with other nations, the way in which we were, have a tendency to rely on powerful weapons with alliances, and how personally we have a tendency to bow our knee to things like money, reputation, sex, and power, those sort of things that are real huge temptations within our world. But God had committed himself to these people. God had committed himself to these people, but time and time again they have shown that they're not willing to hold up their end of the bargain. So God allowed for these ferocious people to come upon his people to defeat them and to take just about everything you can imagine from them. Taking their homes, their livelihood, their dignity, their families, and for many of them, their very lives. It was a dark time and the passage right, the the very verse right before our passage sums us up their world right at that time in this way. It says, then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. It is, if there's a hopeless situation, this is a hopeless situation for them. Every reason that they could possibly hold on to hope is gone. And it doesn't appear that things are going to get better. It seems that the world's against against them, but not just the world, but it seems their very God is against them at this point. And sometimes we can feel like that. You know, the medical bills pile up. The debt is beyond what you can manage. Your relationships don't seem to quite be going right. It seems like they're not getting any better. It seems like they're, they're hurting you. And it seems like God is very distant. But I want to tell you that that is not the end of the story. That it continues on for them, but also for us. Where we open up our Bibles today, there is suddenly a huge change in perspective that takes place. Everything that has taken place before is filled with gloom and darkness and hardship. But God says through the prophet Isaiah that in the midst of darkness, light is coming. He says that God's people, you do have a reason to hope. Will you please turn with me to Isaiah 9? Uh, you can see um, on the uh, slide here uh, the pages for those bibles in the pew rack in front of you and as always we would welcome you if you don't have a bible please take that with you today Uh, we are just thrilled about the fact every week a couple of those disappear and for us that says you know what someone's got a bible in their hand hopefully they're getting into it and we trust you'll experience god as you get into that so take advantage of that there's a lot that's going on in this passage So we're going to read it once, uh, we're going to read it once, and we're going to come back to some details in it, and we're going to kind of walk through it, okay? Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom, for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The word of the Lord. So let's take just a little bit closer look at this passage. We'll begin by just looking at the first three verses of chapter uh, chapter 9. We see in these uh, first verses that those who are hopeless are rejoicing. A complete change of the whole direction that things were going at this point. So what is it that can possibly bring hope to these people who've experienced such darkness? What is it that Isaiah points to? In verse one, he says, God will honor Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, that may mean nothing to you, but that was the very first area of God's people that experienced this humbling, that had experienced this invasion that had taken place of being overtaken by enemies. God had been their protector, but because of their rebellion against him, he took his hand of covering from them. But God tells them through the prophet Isaiah that you still have a reason to hope. And he says it in a way that is so certain, so sure, that it's almost as though it had already taken place. People walking in darkness have seen a great light. It's so certain as though he's talking about it almost as though it had taken place in the past. It's it's like a past event. He's using the past tense here. And in verse one, we see that God will bring honor to the dishonored. In verse two, we see that he, will bring, uh, that he will bring light to darkness. And in verse three, we see that God will bring joy to those who are experiencing sorrow. Here's what I want you to get out of that, what I want you to take note of, is that there is nothing that these people did to deserve this. These blessings, these graces, these gifts of God that they have coming their way. They experienced punishment. And it was punishment due to to what they had done. It was what they had earned. But even in the midst of facing the consequences of their actions, God is already prepared to extend his grace to these people, to his people that he has committed himself to. And the people that God knows will be willing to commit themselves to him anew. God is ready to extend his grace to us as well. There are two images that that Isaiah uses here to describe this sort of abundance that God is giving. Uh, one of them is a harvest, and the other is, uh, is dividing plunder. Now, not too many of us, you know, do too much of that regularly. A lot of you guys spend a lot of time in harvest. A few of us that are, a few of those that are, uh, that are, in farming and that sort of thing. But most of us don't know much about getting our hands dirty with a harvest. We don't know much about, uh, you know, kind of dividing up things from a war. That's not things that you do on Tuesday, right? Um, But those images are so integral to their sort of thinking. And here's why. Because both of these sort of things say, these are gifts from God. Here's why. Here's why. When you talk about a harvest, we can do our sort of work, we can plow the land, we can plant the seeds, we can do our sort of stuff, but ultimately, if the soil's bad, nothing's going to come of it. If you don't have the proper amount of rain, the crop is done for. If you have too much, it's destroyed. If you have too little, then it just withers up to nothing. And they know that. So they trust in God as being the source of them just receiving just the right amount to be able to give them the sustenance they need. Because if God doesn't provide the rain, if the soil is not fruitful, then they're out of luck. They've got nothing. They knew throughout their history that if God was not with them when they went to war, then they were toast. They went out confidently at times, ignoring the fact that they had done something completely against god and god had just said you know what i'm not going with you here and they were toast when god was with them the people of god were victorious over and over again and they enjoyed the fruit of that these are both gifts that are exclusively from god and isaiah is drawing our attention to the fact that this is all coming from god their savior God tells these people in so many words that he's got a feast ready for them. It's the the results of the harvest. It's a feast ready for you that only God can provide, only he can give. And I bet you can picture something like that, can't you? You can picture this, this sort of abundance. It's like everything's ready for your absolute favorite Thanksgiving meal, Okay, you've got everything laid out. You know, maybe you're one of those people that just loves fried turkey like me and it's just, it's perfectly moist. Of course, I would destroy the thing, but uh, you got someone who's come in and knows what they're doing. They prepared it, and it's already It's moist and perfect. You've got the ham that's just sweet and succulent, and just, you're ready to go. You've got grandma made the mashed potatoes or the stuffing. You've got the salad with all the fixings here, and it's just all out there for you. God has made the table for us. He's prepared it for us. I'm not sure that there's a better picture That you can imagine of this sort of satisfaction of a time together, of peace, of joy, of fellowship with people that you love, people that you're getting along with, and really, really, really good food. (laughs) Mm. It's grace. It's just this picture of abundance, and it happens even when we don't deserve it. It reminds me of a story that Jesus told in Matthew 20. Uh, There's this landowner who the harvest is coming in and he's trying to get people in, as many workers as he can to take care of it. And people at the very beginning of the day, he says, "I'll, I'll give you a full day's wage to come out and take care of it. And throughout the day, he finds more and more people to come out because the harvest has to be taken up. And at the end of the day, there are people that came at the very end And those are the very first people that he pays and he gives them a day's wage. He gives them as though they had worked the whole day. And by the time he gets to those that had been there from the very beginning, they're kind of expecting a little bit more. But the landowner gives them a day's wage. He gives them what they need for that day. And you could scratch your head and say that's not fair, but the truth is it's showing the incredible grace of God that he's willing to outpour, he's willing to give to people Regardless of when they responded to the call, they responded to the call and this landowner reflecting God's character saying, I'm so generous that I'm going to give to everyone a fair amount. I'm going to provide for them. And God is generous to us as well. And we too need to respond to the call of God as it comes to us. They've got all this stuff. It's laid out before them. But you ask yourself, so how did all of this come about? How is it that they're having all of this abundance, all these reasons to rejoice, all of these things that suddenly have taken place? What's changed? Everything's dark and gloomy, and suddenly they've got all this stuff. How does it happen? How is it that all of this good stuff is going to come about? Well, Isaiah answers that starting in uh, verse 4. He says, for as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. What Isaiah is saying here is that God's people are free from oppression, saying that they will no longer be slaves to others, that their chains are broken, that they're free. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire is what verse five says. Isaiah is saying that all of these instruments of war, these clothes that you wear when you fight, this armor that you wear, the boots that are on your feet, you're not going to need any of those because I'm going to bring such, God's going to bring such incredible peace that you can throw them in the fire. Your weapons of war, You can use for something else. You can find a different use for them because you will no longer need them for that. But why is this incredible peace, how is this incredible peace come about? Verse six, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. Isaiah says that there's a coming ruler, a king in their understanding that will set everything right. There are rulers that had come in Israel's previous days, God's people of that time. In the time of the judges, people like Gideon came. The Midianites are mentioned here. God empowered by his spirit, Gideon, to overthrow these oppressive people that had come upon them we look back to the history in which God had taken care of his people that we see in scripture through people like Moses that he had empowered to bring about the freedom of God's people completely from the most powerful nation that the world had known at that point of Egypt. He brings them out free and with so much incredible abundance, God provides for them. And now God is telling these people that again he will give them freedom, he will give them peace, and that he will give them a righteous leader. God has shown himself faithful in the past, and he says that he will do it again. He will not abandon his people fully. Isaiah says that God has revealed that this is a certain outcome, that you can put your money on it, that you can take it to the bank, that God is gonna fulfill his promises. He's going to do what he's committed himself to doing. You don't need to worry, because it is certain that God's promises will be fulfilled, that God will care for us, that we do have a reason to hold on to hope, because God is dependable. He's shown himself trustworthy, he will continue to. No matter how bad it may look, and for them it looked awful, The prophet Isaiah wants to inspire. He wants to infuse in God's people this knowledge that it's not over. It may look like it's over, but it's not. That I am with you, that I will never leave you, that I will never fully abandon you. Who is this person that brings hope? This child that that is imaged here. He uses this language. He says he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. Uh, Recently, Pastor Brian spent a little bit, some significant time with these titles, so I don't want to spend too much time, but I do want to point out just a couple of things. The use of this term mighty God here is also used in 1021 in Isaiah to talk about God himself. It connects this ruler, this king's identity with God and this title of everlasting father, it connects this king's existence as being before everyone else. They're looking for a person who's going to be born, but there's also this, this focus on the fact that he's everlasting, that he's been forever. Not that this person is God the father, but in relation to God's people, that he's before them. There's a preexistence that he's always been. Now don't get lost in all of that. Here's what I wanna point out. The person that Isaiah is talking about is fully God and yet is fully man, born as a human being. And there's only one person in all of history that has ever fit that bill, our savior, Jesus Christ. And although in Israel, in this day and time, they would experience new kings, some better, some worse, That the king that Isaiah is describing is far beyond anything that they could ever expect a human king to be able to fulfill. Only God in the flesh could live up to these sort of expectations that are put in this passage. Verse 7 says that of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it, upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. When Isaiah is alluding to David's throne, he's talking about this ideal sort of king. He's talking about the unity of all of God's people joined together. All of the best you could possibly imagine of any sort of leader is all wrapped up into this language of David's, uh, David's throne, David's kingdom. It's this hope, this expectation that they just have held on to for so long. And Isaiah wants to be very clear that it's not something that's just for show. It's not just people kind of pretending to get along. He says that this kingdom is going to be upheld with justice and righteousness that things are going to be brought about right, that relationships are going to be restored, that there's going to be wholeness here that's far beyond anything that's just simply superficial, that it's not going to just look right and seem right, but it's going to be made right. All of our hopes, Isaiah is saying, will be completely and fully fulfilled within this one incredible leader that's coming now, we can relate to the other side of that. You know, we've, we've seen time after time kind of the stereotypical crooked politicians and leaders and governors and those sort of things. We're familiar with those sort of images. They were no less familiar in Isaiah's day. They knew just as well as we do of people not meeting the mark, of disappointing of leaders stepping up, not stepping up, and and just leading in the sort of ways that we expect. But God tells us through the prophet Isaiah that it's going to be different with this ruler, that he's going to do things right, and it will be all accomplished with this zeal for the Lord, this passionate love for God, this commitment to him and to his things. You know, We can be pretty satisfied with with just kind of decent rulers. We're most satisfied with, with really good ones, with governors, with presidents, with kings that do things right, that things work out in our lives well and things tend to be going in the right direction. But truthfully, we desire something far more than any human person can fulfill. They can't meet our expectations. If we look to them, we are doomed to disappointment. There's not a single politician that will ever be able to fulfill the sort of things that we honestly and eagerly need and we expect for the future that only God can bring. They will let us down. They are not Superman and they are certainly not Jesus. When God took on flesh and became a man in Jesus Christ, when, he, when God himself entered into our experience, that was the beginning of this fulfillment of all things that was to take place. The only one who could ever meet our expectation was born as a little baby, wrapped up in blankets, kept warm by their parents and nurtured them just the way that we do with any of our child- children. My child was certainly not the first one that their parents looked on with this eager sort of hope and expectation of what was to come. And Jesus' parents knew there was something unique about him. They had a hint of what was coming forward in his life and in his ministry. Jesus, this one who came born as just a baby, is the only one who could meet our expectations. The one who was born in Bethlehem. The one who healed the sick, who through his ministry showed the power of the kingdom of God. Coming into our experiences, he healed the sick is he cast out demons, even in humbled places like Galilee of the Gentiles, like Nazareth. And God's kingdom can come even in the places in our community, in our world, that have experienced incredible darkness. In Jesus' death for our sins, he accomplished our salvation, and through his glorious, incredible resurrection, showing power over death. Jesus showed us a taste of the everlasting kingdom that is coming, that he is bringing. And through the church, his glorious bride, the work of the kingdom has continued on. But we too share in this eager expectation that hundreds of years before Jesus' birth, that the people of Israel, that Isaiah held on to as well, of this final coming of the kingdom. We've had a taste of it through Jesus's ministry. We experience tastes of it all the time through the church, but we know that it's not all that it's meant to be. We know things are still not made to be completely right yet, and yet we trust that in his glorious coming, that he will set things right. What can bring hope? What can bring hope? Ultimately, only Jesus Christ can bring the sort of hope that we need, that we look forward to that finality. We look, to, uh, we look back at the story of Cinderella and we love the way in which it comes together and just the next scene we've got the fairy godmother that shows up and suddenly she has a dress, she has everything she need, needs and it suddenly seems to all come together. And we can fast forward to the end and we know ultimately, we can scene select, we can jump ahead and we know how the end all comes together and it's really great. But the truth is we live in real time. We live in the real world. And we too just like the people that Isaiah was preaching to, we await the coming and the fulfillment of all of these things to come together. We can't just scene select in order to get, get ahead to it. We too are left in a place where we're waiting for the coming king to restore all things to, just as they should be. And we know that we one day will experience the peace and the joy of God's kingdom and all of, that it's coming. And we can rest and trust that God hasn't given up on his promises, that just as he said it will be fulfilled, that it will be. Because God has shown himself faithful for so long that we know that he hasn't given up on his promises, that he hasn't given up on His, his plan, and he hasn't given up on you and me. We have so many reasons to hold on to hope. When it seems like all hope is gone, when everything seems desolate, we have one who has given us a reason to hope, Jesus. And I can think of no better response to that truth than to respond in worship and prayer to our great God and King who showed himself so faithful to us. Will you please stand at this time? We're going to continue in a time of worship and a time of prayer. We'll have leaders up at the front that would love to pray with you, uh, whatever's going on in life, the sweet things, the difficult things. Uh, if you have kind of, if this is new to you, this sort of understanding of Jesus and the sort of stuff he's done, and you want to you step on board of what he's doing, we'd also love to be able to pray with you about that as well. So at this time, we invite you to come forward. Please support those prayers with, with worship as well. Thank you.